Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. It doesn't matter if you think I have the personality. Somebody that looks like me, somebody that's marginalized is going to look at me and be like, yo, you did that shit? I can do it too. And that's what I want everyone to feel when they see me. And I try 10 times as harder just to do what people that have tens of thousands of followers do just by hitting go live. Mm. So try me. Just tell me I can't. I bet you I will. Mm-hmm. Try them, people. Seriously, <laughs> it gives them more power. Exactly that. That's my superpower. <laughs> Other people's bullshit. <laughs> Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player where what you play is just as important as how you play it and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronoun she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's kick things off as we always do with our Patreon shoutouts. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier. And today we're shouting out everyone who supported us in the month of May. So that's a very big thank you to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Ben, Pim Hatai, and Adi Inka. Thank you all so much. Remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series co-op mode. In last month's episode, we discussed the Bug Snacks Isle of Big Snacks expansion and the Batman range. (laughs) So come over there and check that out if you're interested. And of course, if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please do consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or you can even write into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Love to get something besides the tumbleweeds blowing <laughs> through the old inbox. So That's send us right. an email. For some reason, we love checking email. <laughs> I love like it. One of those people. I'm just like always clicking on it. Was there something new? Was there something new? <laughs> I need content. <laughs> <laughs> it's just somebody else Whatever who wants form. to help us redesign our website. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, folks, it's time to get cozy. Pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch and let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you? I'm well, Jamie. It is Pride Month here in the U.S. Sure is. We like to call it these days Wrath Month. (laughs) Oh, wait, explain Wrath Month to me. So I think the meme comes from how, well, it's rooted in the fact that Pride has continued to be this corporatized event Mm. and it's moved further and further away from actually being about the community and has become a new way for brands and companies to sell more stuff. Oh my God, it's so Um, true. And also just the laughability of celebrating pride in this country when uh, this country continues to try to like snuff us out and take our rights away. Uh So the idea, so there's that. Yeah. (laughs) And then the memification came from the fact that pride is one of the seven deadly sins. 
Mm, so mm-hmm. if we were going <laughs> to actually pick one that actually represented how the community feels, let's call it Wrath Month. <laughs> okay. All right. No, I like this. All right. That's great. Thank you, internet <laughs> teens. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for bringing that bit of internet culture to the show. <laughs> That's right. Not much has changed around my house. Our pride flag flies all year round, but um, mm. I have seen some some pride flags popping up in the neighborhood, which is always cute to see. And oh, I'm kicking off my Pride Month with a company-sponsored business trip to London. So I'm going to choose to see that as a Pride uh, gift to me. Thank you. There you go. There you go. It's a good way to look at it. How are you, Jamie? Uh, <laughs> I'm okay. I uh, actually just got back from from a trip that I was taking. Um, family related. It was pretty but felt exhausting. Like business. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lot of work. I worked very hard, uh, both emotionally and physically. Oh, and and uh, you know that was that was the week off, and now I'm back to back to my job. So I'm a little bit tired. Um, but you know, it really says something when work is less stressful than family. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful to be back, (laughs) back at home with the dogs and my stressful, but somehow less stressful job. So Mm. I'll take, I'll take that win. And I've been a little bit burnt out on video games, at least the past few days, but I'm starting Mm. to get my sea legs back. I'm looking forward (laughs) to checking out the quarry that's uh, coming out the Friday after we're recording this episode. So that's exciting. That's a massive new game. Um, I enjoyed Until Dawn, and I'm looking forward to checking that out. Mm -hmm. And we got a release date for Stray. We got a release date for Stray. I know what I'm going to get to play is that cute, adorable little cat with a robot on his back. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. And we're actually, we're like in the thick of what used to be E3 right now oh. um, that has now been kind of supplanted by Summer Games Fest, which is, uh, yeah, just the big marketing extravaganza. I don't know. Hold it's, up. I'm late to the party. Yeah. What is Summer Games Fest? So Summer Games Fest is basically the rebranding of of video game marketing that's it's kind of uh, put oh. together by Jeff Keeley and who hosts the game awards the game every awards? year who okay. does the game awards yeah so he started doing this thing that is that he's calling summer games fest which is really just a calendar uh when all mm. is said and done of <laughs> marketing events for the various uh big game publishers okay but you know in previous years we used to have E3 I don't remember what all the E's stand for but it was basically a week of conferences and mm. convention stuff that would happen uh in early June around video games and all the big publishers would come and they would do these big showcases and show off all the games that they have coming out this year and usually like the in the rest of the current year and then the first half of the upcoming year um but e3 uh was kind of on the wane even before covid and Uh when covid hit kind of really tanked and and hasn't really been a thing they tried to bring it back virtually last year to middling levels of success and kind of last summer was just a mess with like all the game companies doing their own, like totally breaking Mm. out and doing their own thing whenever they wanted. And so the entire summer was just kind of like press conference after press (laughs) conference after press conference, which is very exhausting for anyone who was following all of that. Um, And then this summer, it kind of seems like maybe Jeff Keighley has kind of corralled people into getting under one banner Mm. and doing 
their their events in alignment with the Summer Games Fest. And this seems to be the week that a lot of this stuff is happening. So he's doing like a big kickoff event that's expected to have announcements and and cool things being shown and conversations with game devs and stuff. And then there's a handful mm. of other events throughout the rest of the week and the weekend. It's all virtual? Um, uh, yeah. Well, actually, I don't know that. Everything can be watched virtually. I don't know if it's actually all mm. happening virtually. So nice. I'm sort of tuned into that. I do tend to like check into like, you know, if PlayStation's doing a conference or stuff like that, I try to check it out. Um, but it is, I mean, it is, it's just all video game marketing, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, nice hype trailer can be fun. And I'm, I'm yeah. eyes peeled for the God of War Ragnarok oh release God, date. Yes. I know that's gotta be coming. I can feel it. It's, I feel like we're going to get it this year. <laughs> it's all signs point to we're getting that game this year right now. <laughs> And that Absolutely. it might get announced this week, which was uh, very exciting. What? Oh my god! Okay, yeah, I can't that's wait. that's the running theory is that it might show up at the opening press conference for Summer Games Fest. So, faded uh, um, breath. That reminds me, like one of my coworkers um, got a Steam Deck, and they were talking about how I just saw today. Uh, something out of maybe The Verge about how Steam is actually releasing a software update for the Steam Deck because the fan is like comically loud. <laughs> um, and my coworker was talking about how even though it's a handheld device, it really feels like a PC. Like it, mm, it just, mm-hmm. there's something about it that just, it doesn't feel like a console. It really feels like a mini computer. Mm-hmm. And um, he was just saying when we, someone had shared the article about how they're going to fix that fan noise thing and he was like ah i'm gonna miss my little jet engine taking off every time i try to play god of war on my steam deck (laughs) that's awesome and i'm very jealous i really my pre-order is like oh you might get in october at the soonest uh so i still got a ways to wait until mine comes in but i pre-ordered pretty late so Shoot, I better get on that. I didn't realize it was that back. Oh, up. you can't you can't them. even put in an order right now. Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if they're accepting more orders until later this year. It's like PS5 of 2020 all over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, all right. Uh let's let's talk about some video games. What are you playing? Let's. <laughs> what are you playing at the moment, Spencer? So you mentioned being burned out on video games. I think I also I just I've been a uh, no thoughts, brain empty kind of vibe. And Fair enough. Um, there's a little game that my boyfriend plays all the time where he goes, he goes through these phases where he won't touch it for weeks or months at a time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Civilization Six is <laughs> being loaded up on Steam and I will not hear or see from hear anything <laughs> from him for weeks at a time. Um, and so I think uh, I've heard it. I've so Civilization, the series, um, is part of this genre that I just learned about. It's called 4X. And the four X's stand for explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate, oh. which sounds already <laughs> like pretty uh, colonialism the video game. <laughs> yeah, so slow me back up. I'll say that what kind of drew me to it is that, um, and also, I mean, this game is literally about colonialism, but I love the, the board game Settlers of Catan, yes. which is like a very high level, yep. uh, mm-hmm. very <laughs> simplified version of essentially you are settlers expand, trying to have the biggest ex- uh, settlement on the island and there are mm-hmm, other players mm-hmm. also trying to do the same. And when I was watching my boyfriend play Civilization VI, um, 
I it, it sort of had echoes of that. There's all these mm. hexagons on a map. You start out on a continent. There are other um, civilizations who are also playing the game, and you are essentially these immortalized. Because uh, it's like the game starts uh, at like the beginning of human time, mm-hmm. and you go all the way to 2050, the year 2050 AD, and it's a sped up version of um, you know moving from simple tools to discovering technology to the industrial era to um, you know eventually building a rocket and sending it off into space. That's kind of the end goal of the game. Okay. What's interesting about civilization is that no one ever finishes it. Um, it's like a thing in the fandom that you don't finish civilization. What you mm. do is you start a new game, um, you play until you get bored, and then you start another new game. <laughs> um, and it's true. Like there's something really exciting and special about the beginning of the game. Mm. It um it feels like you know you're just discovering a new land. There's no uh there's no complex society or several cities that you need to run. There's no war that you need to be fighting with someone else. Like it's all about just hunting and gathering and building your little your little city and making things nice for the people living there. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's interesting for my mm-hmm. next point, which is that from the get, I was like, okay, I, I, so I, so I picked it up because I was watching him play it. I started to get into it and I'm playing it on the Nintendo Switch. Um, I realized I hadn't touched my Switch in a while and I was like, oh, my Switch needs some love. So, <laughs> um, I'm playing a combination of Mario Kart 8 and Civilization 6. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, that'll be a whole other episode, but <laughs> um, I should just I should just mention for context that like um I'm saying Civ Six. There's really no there's no need to play the previous titles to understand mm, what's happening mm-hmm. in the six. The format of the game has not changed much. It's it's kind of just like been graphically updated and had some features thrown in with each iteration. Okay. Some would say that that six is the best one. Um, others are really into f- Civilization f- uh, Four, um, mm-hmm. but Six is kind of like the I don't know most popular iteration. That's is out that right the most now. recent one? I believe so. Let me see. Okay, so it is the most recent one, but apparently on April twenty seventh, twenty twenty two, according to the Boss Rush Network, which I don't know how viable of a uh, <laughs> news outlet that may be, but apparently um, at Civ Game, the the game's um, Twitter account recently tweeted that there there might be something, there might be a Civilization Seven coming out, Ooh. maybe maybe announced this year, maybe not. Okay. So there you go. Hey, subliminally wow. is coming back into the zeitgeist. <laughs> so that must be why I was drawn to it. it must um, be. Must be. <laughs> Just got your finger on the pulse over there. Exactly. But um, <laughs> you know, as someone who likes Catan, likes board games, I can immediately yeah. see the appeal. I was getting, I was picking it up. I was really enjoying it. Um, but I. <laughs> So like I said, you are you pick which leader you want to be. And the game goes throughout the whole of time. So you're just essentially this immortal version of like idealized representations of specific countries like India, Germany, um, Brazil. Um, there's also like 
the Aztec civilization and um, other like Japan. Uh, I'm just, there's a, there's a bunch. There's like 30 of them that you can decide to be. Okay. But it's like all of these leaders are sort of distilled down into like, oh, if you're Japan, then um, you get samurai as a special like unit of for okay. military or if you're France, if you're uh, if you're France, then you get like spies for free. Like it just seemed like they were sort of yeah. <laughs> like for the Europeans and stuff and Westerner. Like I don't fucking care. <laughs> you can whatever. But it's like it just kind of felt like. Um, but like for example, the leader of the Congo, he his special effect is that. Um, he cannot, so one of the, the, the tenets of the game are, there's a few different ways to win. You can have a religious win where like you spread your religion all across the entire world and dominate it that way. You can have a military win where you take the capital of every other civilization and dominate the world that way. You can have a culture win where you um, have the most tourism and the most have collected the most art and artifacts. So you dominate the world in that way. Collected quote. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. Y'all can't see my face, but I'm being very like, what's going on with the eyebrows right now? Um, Or you can have a science win in which, uh, you succeed in building a rocket and going to the moon by the end Elon of the Elon Musk. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Elon Musk ending. So the leader of the Congo is like, he can't start any religion of his own and his, his civilization will automatically take on whatever the dominant religion is. Hmm. And that's his power. And I'm like, I immediately turned to my boyfriend and I was like, have you read this? Because this feels like just a kind of like stereo like this it's it's like packaging colonialism as like mm. a benefit like, yeah. like it feels like it's 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 taking such a um condescending view of like what clearly what the source material that has inspired these caricatures like yeah what that was so i sort of had this feeling as i was playing um where i was kind of like okay, who wrote this? Because um, you start to see things like, um, as I progressed through the game, I got this notification that was like, Eureka, you got these Eureka moments where you advance a certain skill or your civilization has reached a certain point where good things are happening. And you get a message that says, the growing number of citizens in your lands dream of having an empire. And that means that you're moving towards unlocking this skill. There's these skill trees where it'll be like, you know, you start by discovering the wheel. And then when you do that, mm-hmm. you build shit. And then after that, you start creating a political philosophy. And it, like there's all these branching um, achievements that mm-hmm. sort of distill what it means for civilizations to advance into mm-hmm. a very colonial version of like what like success and growth looks like, which is completely homogenizing and dominating everybody else. Yeah. 
Um, and I was just reading this, like the growing number of citizens in your lands dream of having an empire, like everything is sort of framed in this way. Like, um, the citizens of your land are excited to try the new government of autocracy. And I'm just like, <laughs> no one uh, dreams of being subjugated as part of an empire. Like I, no one yeah, no. <laughs> dreams of being ruled outside of the BDSM dungeon. Of course, <laughs> like, like w- just the way that it was, was really stressing me out. And, and the fact that it was like, um, this is a game that like, I, I I've, I've known people who have played this game all the way, like for like 15 years and I just never got into it myself, but it was Mm -hmm. a game that I very strongly associated with like a lot of the like film school bros that I went to college Mm -hmm. with. Like there's always someone who is obsessed with civilization. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I turned to Google for, uh, to be consoled and I typed in civilization six racist enter (laughs) (laughs) and what did you find spencer and i was so grateful that the first result validated (laughs) yeah i was immediately validated um so there's a really great article by gabriel suarez on waypoint of course (laughs) and it's (laughs) the title of the article is civilization and strategy games progress delusion. Mm. Um, It's a really fascinating piece where he breaks down, you know, like what a lot of strategy games are like a lot of these games, like Civ, like Civ and um, Crusader Kings is another one. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know a lot about the genre. So those are the main two that I'm aware of that are probably the most mainstream. Um, But this is like people spend hours in these games. Mm -hmm. Um, And he talks about like, like we were sort of, mentioning earlier about how in order to create a progressive skill tree um, that's uniform for kind of each civilization that you may play as, it's like you have to distill it down into this really um, fucked up idea of what progress looks like. And um, he talks about how that goes all the way back down to like, early social anthropology, like the the study and philosophy of anthropology and where that came from in our sort of modern society. And this, um, so I'm going to read a bit from the piece um, where Gabriel writes, uh, quote, evolution as progress became the bedrock of early social anthropology, essentially um, splitting how we think of each other and other civilizations as an us versus them dichotomy. Um, Gabriel says, we, whoever that is, were once like them, but we had evolved, whereas they had not. Or to put it another way, social evolutionism transformed a spatial difference, i.e. people who live in different parts of the globe do things differently, into a temporal difference, i.e. they do as we once did, but we have progressed and they have not. And when we say they and we in this context, he's specifically referring to indigenous people and how colonizers have positioned them as somehow being less evolved because they, what, haven't produced or subjugated or spread as pervasively as those folks have. Um, And yeah, it's like, really fucked when you realize (laughs) that so much of strategy games are as 
Gabriel continues to say, strategy games tend to only engage with complexity when it can be converted into a military or economic trait. The rest Mm -hmm. is treated as irrelevant or merely aesthetic. Mm. And I just, that really hit. (laughs) Yeah. When I was playing Civ, like I think, um, I, I, I think for any non- like any marginalized person, any any person from any um, country, any any culture that has experienced the effects of colonialism and racism and systemic displacement and oppression, I just don't see how like like a lot of this, a lot of the things that are said so flippantly in this game mm-hmm. uh, and clearly supposed to be like a set dressing mm-hmm. is like making a caricature of of real generational trauma and uh yeah. it just i think what annoyed me was how like there are like cards in the game titled like serfdom colonialism like as if yeah. these are like and they hold benefits it's like plus mm-hmm. one to your production and it's like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> um i just thought that I really loved the way that this piece sort of brought together um, just like a really, really great analysis of like how fucked up anthropology as a practice is mm-hmm. because of what its roots are in. And like, I learned a lot from that. Um, and just the fact that, again, I was validated by like, I have a bad feeling. I'm a Google <laughs> this. And I was really happy to see that I'm clearly not the only one. Um mm-hmm. I highly recommend folks check out the article. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, but definitely gave me a lot to think about because I think people think that, you know, oh, it's just a game. Like mm-hmm. what we're calling this doesn't matter. It's just immersing you or it's putting you in this world. And it's like, okay, but I know people who have spent hundreds maybe thousands of hours in this game and people who love it and recommend it to others. Mm-hmm. And it's like when that kind of stuff is normalized over and over again, it doesn't not affect your worldview. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. unpacking something as, you know, quote unquote trivial as a game is, is really important. Uh, Like where we spend our time matters. Um, So it's a really addicting game, but (laughs) I don't know if I'd like put my stamp of a gay approval on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure there's a degree to which a lot of folks, yeah, just completely don't even uh, process any of that kind of stuff when they're playing it. This is a game that my, I know my partner has gotten very into as well at Mm. various points. Um, And yeah, he'll, he'll play it for hours and hours. And I, will literally look over and he's just like clicking through all of that text that I think you're talking about. Like not even thinking about it, barely reading it, just like interested in like watching the numbers go up. And and it's so funny because my boyfriend is just like that. Like as soon as the thing comes up where your people, he's like already clicking X, like to get through it. And I'm like, but wait, the narrative, I need to, I need to be immersed. I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm such a details person. Well, yeah. And I think it's, it's an interesting question to ask like how much of this stuff is is potentially being absorbed uh without even really thinking about it pro- like how much of this mm. stuff gets internalized even without a reading that in with any depth or thinking about it in any depth because mm. i'm sure like 
your partner and mine, if we were to sit down and be like, look at all this shit that's in here, we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, it's just like intelligent, thoughtful people, <laughs> but like would never have maybe even taken. And I think there's a lot of people who engage with games that way. Um, and especially these types of games. So I, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Like, what are we maybe absorbing from these things? What are we pulling into our worldview that we're not even aware of? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're being indoctrinated to. Absolutely. Kind of scary. Yeah. It's just <laughs> everything happens so much. Um, but, uh, you know, enough about that. <laughs> Jimmy, what, are, what have you been playing? Well, you know, uh, like, ironically enough, I we're, <laughs> you and I have some sort of weird uh, across the state of Massachusetts uh, psychic yeah. link. Uh, because I also was <laughs> like, oh, I haven't played my Nintendo for a while. And, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I'm, you know, I, I had played Elden Ring. That was such a huge time suck and kind of came off of that and did some Lego stuff and, and played Citizen sleeper and kind of like looking for my next thing. And and I had this game on my backlog um, that I bought when it came out because I read really good reviews and then just hadn't gotten back around to playing because mm. of everything else going on. And that game is Triangle Strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Triangle Strategy came out in March of this year, right at the beginning of March. It's a tactical role-playing game developed and published by Square Enix, co-developed by ArtDink, and published by Nintendo internationally. And the development of the game was led by Tomoya Asano, uh, who's the producer of Bravely Default and Octopath Traveler, which are not games that I personally have played, but I uh, Octopath Traveler in particular I had seen a lot about and, and have really wanted to play and check out, but never got around to it. But Triangle Strategy finally pulled me in. Um, these games, uh, both Octopath Traveler and Triangle Strategy, use this uh, this art style that I think is is really cool that <laughs> Square Enix calls HD 2D, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which refers to the mix of using HD 3D backdrops um, combined with pixel art. Uh, so it's pixel art characters, kind of like the little chibi figures uh on the screen um but the background is very detailed hd artwork so it's kind of this mix of pixelated art and the detailed hd and it has like a really interesting effect it's like you're looking at a miniature set yeah kind of (laughs) like it almost feels like a diorama or something like you've got all this detail in the background but then the characters are like very um like under underdrawn Mm. on the screen and and feel very simple but but it has a cool effect. It's very pretty to look at. Um, and what drew me into this game was a lot of folks talking about it having a really unique uh, decision-making system in the game. So I started playing the game, and right off the bat initially, I was like... <laughs> like is this i don't know about this narrative so the narrative (laughs) is is about uh, it's this big political intrigue narrative about these three uh kingdoms essentially Mm. set in this fictional land in which uh these three these three kingdoms had uh, I think it's like a couple decades ago, been in this big war called the Salt Iron War because one of the kingdoms, which is set in the desert, they have uh, a abundance of salt. Another kingdom that's located in the snowy mountain range, they mm. have an abundance of iron. And the kingdom in between kind of tends to be like a, a peace broker between the two other kingdoms that have the resources. Um, but essentially, the you know the 
salt-bearing kingdom was withholding salt from the other kingdoms, and salt mm. is a very important resource in this area. Not that salt isn't an important resource in general, but it's also <laughs> just kind of funny that it's like, salt! <laughs> you know, our, our food was bland, and so we yes. went to war. Revolt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just like, the hardest thing facing this kingdom is that like <laughs> their chicken is dry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, must but be anyway. nice. But anyway, the game is set, you know, like, I think it's about two decades after this big war has happened, and there's been some level of peace across the three kingdoms, and they're actually, the three kingdoms are coming together for the first time for a joint mining venture. Again, I'm for telling salt? you, for, <laughs> I don't think it's meant to be for salt. I'm Uh-oh. still, I'm only about halfway through the game, so I haven't actually found out what they're mining, but hmm. this joint mining venture which is happening in the middle of the three kingdoms. Um, and they're all coming together to participate. And so there's this big celebratory thing that's happening. And you play as this young man named Sarah Noah. And his, uh, he is, he's essentially Jon Snow. <laughs> he's like Jon Snow well, or like a Rob Stark figure, right? <laughs> his father is mm-hmm. basically the right-hand man for the king of the middle lands, the okay. peace-breaking lands, right? And so they're a lesser house, but they have, they're known as being very honorable and very honest, and he's the eldest son who's set to inherit his his father's lands, but he's not the king. He's more of a lesser figure mm. in everything that's going on, right? His best friend is one of the princes. Uh, mm. He's the son of the king of the land. Mm. But anyway, so Saranoa is kind of boring like again he's a rob stark john snow kind of figure he's very honorable he's very honest he's a good good young lad Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh he just wants to help his kingdom so so the game starts out and probably the first five to six hours i was like i don't know like this seems a little bit dull like Mm -hmm. i'm not really sure what's going on i'm getting introduced to a lot of characters sarah noah has been arranged to marry the princess from s frost which is the the iron land in the mountains okay and nobody's really sure why she was set up with him specifically because he's the son of a lesser house uh. um, and it seems like it would have made more sense for the king to have one of his princes marry the princess hmm. um and she's also a rosellen which is a people that has pink hair and okay. is uh in the salt kingdom they essentially like treat you. You learn that they treat the Rosellen as slaves. So, like, slowly oh. you start pulling out this like bit of information that starts to make the world a little more complex okay. and interesting and not just people who want salt. Um, yeah, yeah, a little bit, right? <laughs> but uh, honestly, the I think the biggest comparison, the closest comparison point would be Game of Thrones, except kind of without. Mm the fantasy elements because a very quick, I know there is magic in this world, but there's no dragons or magical creatures or Are anything like that. there tons of nudity in it? No, no, it's more of like a PG, <laughs> PG Game of Thrones. There's no cussing even. A PG even. <laughs> Game of Thrones without the fantasy? So like, what's the, what's the I guess what part? I mean, I guess what I mean is that it's, it's slow burning at first and okay. then it continually, like as you go on, the story unravels bit by bit. You start to find more complexity and it's mm. also jumping around. You play as Sereno, like as your main character and that's the main perspective that you experience the story from. But the game has moments where you can go just like watch a scene that's happening in another kingdom um, and keep mm. up with characters that exist in other kingdoms that aren't part of your party that you will eventually come to intersect with, but not yet. So it has this way of like cutting across all of the different aspects of what's going on around the main character's story so that you're constantly being filled in on like the political intrigue and the 
the politics and the drama and the mm-hmm. the insidiousness that's brewing beneath the surface as things start to unravel and mm-hmm. um eventually there's well not eventually it happens fairly early in the game but kind of the inciting incident is that as frost ends up attacking the kingdom of of glenbrook which is mm-hmm. the the center place and uh, killing the king oh, of that land so they're essentially in the process of starting another war and sarah mm. noah and his his uh bride to be and his group of friends along with the prince that's his friend all have to go on the run mm. as this kind of like band of outlaws now mm. trying to survive while the S frost kingdom tries to chase them down. That's kind of like where I'm at in the story right now. I'm leaving a lot out because I don't want to really spoil anything, Mm -hmm. but it does once, once you get past it, like initial six, seven hours, it it steadily like picks up the pace and starts to be much more interesting. Okay. Um, So that's like, that's the narrative hook of the game. But what has really, what I think is really cool about this game, what I heard people talking about in advance and what I think, uh, is is just one of the most unique things that the game does is that it introduces a decision system that I've never encountered in any other game. So mm. in terms of gameplay, the game kind of manifests in, in three, essentially three ways. You can have cutscenes. Uh, assen- well, they're essentially cutscenes, but it's basically just dialogue-based scenes that almost play out like a visual novel. And it, none of this is like CGI animated, fully animated cutscenes. It's all running in engines. So you've got your little pixelated characters on the screen with text boxes appearing above their heads. It is all fully voice acted, which is oh, really wow. cool. Cool. So you have voice acting for all of the, the dialogue that's appearing on the screen. But so you just have these just scenes that will play out. And essentially all you're there to do is to click through them. You don't have control of a character. Mm-hmm. Um, you might make a few dialogue decisions during these moments, but essentially you're just getting hit with with narrative. That's one one type of scene that plays out in the game. There's also battles, which are turn-based, tactical battles. Um, mm. They have kind of a... You can move the camera around, so it can be top-down or it can be isometric, kind of however you... Whatever perspective you want. And they actually do some interesting stuff with perspective. Like, if you move the camera around, you might see a way to approach an enemy that you wouldn't have seen oh. if you kept the camera static. So it kind of gives you some wow. dynamics there with the camera to to work through. Um, but you're moving your characters across a battlefield. You usually have nine, nine or ten folks on your side at a time that you're controlling, kind of one turn, one move at a time. Um, the landscape's kind of gridded into blocks, and all of your characters have a certain distance they can go um, and a set of attacks that they can do or, or buffs or defensive stuff. It's pretty typical, I think, in terms of a turn-paced tactical game. And I would say it's kind of like, as someone who has played some turn-based tactical games, but not a lot. I would say this is probably like middle level of difficulty. It's not Mm -hmm. so hard that I feel like I'm getting my teeth kicked in, but it's also not so easy that I feel like I can just kind of go on autopilot and just Mm. smack everything. Like I have to put some thought into what I'm doing. And there've been one or two battles that I had to restart because Mm. it just got completely out of hand and I got surrounded and, and killed really quickly and all, all the different, um, types of characters that can join your team and the different movesets that they all have, I think are really interesting. And I am certain that I am not maximizing the way Mm. they could all interact with each other because I just don't have that level of strategy brain, but I'm still able to get through it even without totally like taking full advantage of everyone's unique abilities and playing off, playing them off of each other. So, yeah. Um, They also set the battles up in interesting ways where it's not always like your objective in each battle is not always just to kill everyone on the screen. Like one particularly fairly early game fight, 
that happens is where your party is actually trying to escape after S frost attacks. And mm. so they set you up on a bridge and your objective is to get all of your characters onto the bridge with no enemies on the bridge with you so that this boat can come through and pick you up. Mm. So enemies will actually keep spawning at the edges of the bridge indefinitely. Mm. And you have to keep strategically moving your party onto the bridge, get everyone on the bridge, then kill everyone, all the en- kill or push back all the enemies that are on the bridge with you. And that's what will allow you to win the battle. Cool. So they do interesting stuff like that too, where it's not just like, Oh, just kill everybody on the screen. Yeah. And that's how you win, <laughs> how you win the battle. Um, and then the third way that gameplay manifests is these things called exploration scenes, mm. which they do not have voice acting for in the exploration scenes. You're given control of Saranoa in a particular area, and you can basically like run around and talk to people or go into people's houses and like look for items. But these are opportunities where you can learn bits of information and, and it'll like, if you learn something, a little box will appear in the upper right corner of the screen. That's like, you've learned about X ah. and all of this information comes into play in the decision-making phase that I'm about huh. to talk about. So you're getting items, you're, you're getting bits of information from people. You do all of that in the exploration scene. So then you get to the, Oh, sorry. I have to talk about the conviction system. <laughs> So all of these things that you're doing all play into this underlying system in the game that is actually hidden from you uh, on your first playthrough. From what I've read, it sounds like you can actually see the system, like see the points in the system when you do a new game plus. But the first time you play through the game, you c- it's actually, you know it's happening, but it's all happening in the background. It's called a conviction system. And every dialogue decision you make gives you three response options on the screen. So anytime you're making a dialogue decision, you'll have three options. What you pick, each of those options, the game has predetermined a line with one of these different conviction types. So one is utility. You can make utilitarian decisions. One is morality decisions. You know, you're saying something that's based on your morals Mm -hmm. or liberty, something that's based on the idea that, that people are free and should be free Mm -hmm. to make their own choices. So every decision that you make is putting points into one of those buckets. Anytime you make a dialogue decision, you're getting points in them. And it will come up on the screen. It will tell you Sarah Noah's convictions have been strengthened. But you don't know which convictions you're strengthening. It does this from the beginning of the game, but it doesn't explain to you how those convictions are going to come into play mm-hmm. until you get to a point where you make, have to make a decision. So there's key points in the game where you have to make an actual branching decision that changes the route of the game. So this game has multiple endings. It has multiple narrative storylines that I might like I I'm taking one path. I'm not experiencing what that other path looks like Mm. when you get to a decision point. You as Sarah Noah don't get to just pick what you want to do between the two options. These will always be a situation where you have two options. For example, the first one you encounter in the game is that this is before any fighting has started and Serenoa has the option to go visit and tour around either Esfrost or the uh, the name of the salt-based country is escaping me, but mm-hmm. you can either go to the iron country or you can go to the salt-based country. I don't get a Serenoa to just pick one of those two options. The decision is made by my party members Uh-oh. casting a vote. Each of my party members have their own convictional oh alignments, which are also not available for me to view. 
The only <sighs> way I can have a sense of what's important to each of my party members is by talking to them and actually listening to what they're saying to get a sense of what's important to them. Then, wow. then in the decision-making process, essentially what will happen is you'll always have six party members that are voting okay. for these things. So it can't be a tie or it can't, sorry, seven party members that are voting. So it's never a tie. And each person will give you a sense of where their alignment is already. And it'll usually be evenly split with one person being undecided. So it'll be like these three people, it'll show you on the screen. These three people are going to vote or planning to vote this way. These three people are planning to vote this way. And this person's undecided. So then you can go around and talk to each person about how they're planning to vote and why. And if you want them to try to vote differently, you can try to convince them to do that. But the game will tell you how easy or difficult that might be. So mm -hmm. it might say, like, this person can't be persuaded. Mm -hmm. Or it might say, this person could be convinced with the right evidence. Mm -hmm. And that's where your evidence stuff that you've been doing in the exploration mode comes mm -hmm. into play. So if I'm trying to convince someone uh, that they should vote my way, I open up that dialogue tree and start having a conversation with them. And one of the options will suddenly become available because I found the right bit of information. Ah. Or if I didn't find the information, there'll just be a magnifying glass over that option and I won't be able to select it. Mm. The information that you find, though, is not always the key to convincing someone. So at first I thought, oh, I just have to find the right information and that will unlock it, right? I thought it was just like it was a gamified system that I could just do that way. Like, yeah. okay, if I found the information, then I'll be able to convince this person and then they'll vote my way. And then I tried that and they didn't vote my way. And I was like, what? Uh, yeah. Why didn't that work? And I realized it's because it's not, it's not based on that. Like that's giving me that option, which is great. But I still didn't make the choice that was important to this person. Like my bride-to-be, what's important to her is like morals and like taking care of our people and doing what's right for our people. So I'm not going to convince her with a logical argument about political mm. power. She's not going to care about that. So I have to actually pick the dialogue option that speaks to her specific uh, moral position and that aligns with her thinking. Dang. Now here's the fucking kicker because the game takes it one step further. It's still not just about choosing the right thing to say. Okay. I could pick the right dialogue option that is speaking to her morals and will convince her. However, if my morality conviction is too low, yeah. I won't be able to convince her because she knows morality isn't important to me and Ooh. I'm just saying it to convince her. Wow. So you have to stand by your own convictions and people will judge you based on the decisions you've already made and decide whether or not to trust you when you try to convince them based on the person you've been in the game to date. So it's not like it's just a game where you just, okay, this is just the right thing to say. It's like, I, I have to be the person that I am. <laughs> like, it's a game that's actually saying like who you are and the decisions you make is who you will have to continue to be. Oh my God. <laughs> that's kind of like antithesis or counter to so much of what games are or like why yeah. people play games like yeah to just escape who you are or <laughs> be taken at face value and this this is like accountability the game <laughs> yeah and and like the fact that the game hides the points system from like there's a point there's a counter happening in the background mm. and the game doesn't let you see it because it knows if you could see it if you could see mm. what decisions are putting points in which bucket 
and you could actually monitor the points in each bucket, then you would gamify yeah. that. And you would use it to make sure, oh, everything's even so I can always convince people the way I want to convince them. But it's like, actually, no, like you need to make the decisions that you think are right. And then people are going to judge you and hold you to those decisions. Damn. And you're going to have to live with that. And I think it's kind of ingenious because from what I've read, once if once you beat the game, if you start a new game plus, mm-hmm. all of that, that's it, the shadow system becomes revealed to you. So oh, okay. it does allow you to, it's like, okay, you beat the game. You got through it once. Here's the way all of this is working in the mm-hmm. background. Now you can go through and game the system so that you can see the other branches that you yeah. didn't get to see the first time. I think that's a really cool compromise. Yeah. Unfortunately, the game's like like 30 hours, I think, for one playthrough. Yeah. So how long to beat has it at a 38-hour runtime for one playthrough? Wow. That's, okay. that's a lot to try yeah. to go back and play through again. I guess you got to be pretty dedicated at that point. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. I think it's I think it's a really smart system that yeah. while like kind of frustrating because I know I I'm not going to get like the golden path or whatever. Like I mm-hmm. might not get the best ending, which is something that I think a lot of times when I play games with dialogue decisions, yeah. I'll I'll like have like, oh, this is what I would say, but I'm going to just check yeah. <laughs> like what the right answer is. That's going to yeah. not fuck me out of the good ending. Right. Yeah, and this exactly. game like actively resists that. And it's like, no, like if you're. <sighs> You know, there is no right answer. It's just about like sticking to your own convictions and making decisions that align with those. Wow, that's that's so deep and almost like it makes the game feel alive. Like it's judging you (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, it's like putting you in your place as the gamer. (laughs) Yep, one hundred percent. Does it feel like the way you were describing it? Like, does it remind you of 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim at all in terms of the shifts between the types of gameplay? And it almost sounded like a, like an interactive novel, like epic Mm -hmm. novel. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're drawing that parallel. And I do think in the way that it moves between the different, how the different gameplay sections are so distinct. Uh, Because between every scene, it kicks you back out to the map and then it will give you a couple options of like, oh, there's a few different scenes that you can click mm. into and this one might be a battle and this one might just be mm. more narrative exposition and and this one might be an exploration mode, right? So you kind of and and in that regard, yeah, there there is some similarity there to to Aegis Rim. But in terms of narrative and and then this the game's whole focus on uh decision making and this conviction system i think re- like sets it dramatically apart they're kind of mm. doing very different things but yeah and kind of that way it draws like kind of a clean line between the different ways the game scenes play out yeah i yeah. think i think that definitely uh has some similarities to just room for sure cool so you think yeah. you're gonna finish it yeah i think so i i really want to um I played it, yeah, I said we were traveling last week, so I played it for several hours on the plane going to our location, but coming yeah. back, I was just too too tired, so <laughs> I, I didn't do it, but uh, as I as I get my gaming legs back yeah. <laughs> and my energy back, Builds your I'm strength. definitely looking forward to getting back to it. It's, it's cool. a very interesting game and, and just a really cool system that I haven't encountered before, anything quite like it. Wow. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move into our interview. So today we're chatting with Ace, known as at A underscore typical queer on Twitch and social media. In their own words, Ace is a black queer content creator who aims to stand in the gap for various marginalized communities, 
She's also an activist working with Equality New York and New Pride Agenda, and they're the director of DEI Consulting at QWERTY Gamers. We talk with Ace about using gameplay as a backdrop to focus and hold space for important conversations, thriving on other people's bullshit, and about their approach to the DEI and activism work they do. Ace is absolutely hilarious and insightful, and Spencer and I really had a great time chatting with them. So without further ado, here's our interview with Ace. Hello to our wonderful guests, and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual Pixel Therapy studio. To start, can you share your name and your pronouns? Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, happy to be here. My name is Ace and my pronouns are they, she. We're so happy to have you, Ace. Um, how do you spend your time? Oh, wow. Um, how <laughs> do I spend my time? Again, I watch a lot of Vampire Diaries. Yes. Um, and if I'm not like watching it, I have it on in the background while I'm doom scrolling and talking mm. about political shit on Twitter. Mm. <laughs> Love a nice comfort show to buffer the other activities my brain needs to do. <laughs> Absolutely that. Like when Elena becomes a vampire, hope that's not a spoiler for anyone. It's been years. <laughs> but that is like season five, season four ending is amazing for me needed to sit there mm-hmm. it's almost like a uh, a form of parallel play or body doubling to just have these characters that are very familiar and brain pleasing to just like be background noise and enable me or you or anyone yes. to like do other stuff that can be very draining and like emotionally taxing, even though it's important to us. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, like Vampire Diaries is just like my thing that makes me feel most comfortable. Mm. I'll be honest, it used to be Harry Potter. Um, mm. I was born and raised in a different country. I was born in Jamaica. So my accent was a little different. So in order mm. to get my accent to be more Americanized. Um, I used to watch all the movies, read all the books and stuff. Um, Unfortunately, because of BS, I'm no longer Mm. a fan of Harry Potter. And that breaks my heart Mm -hmm. uh, because I was obsessed with the movies. But Vampire Diaries is doing it for me right now. Mm. I'm so happy (laughs) to hear that. But Vampire Diaries could be there for you. Yeah, (laughs) I I relate to that a lot. Like just Harry Potter being this, uh, I guess, someone who grew up in a somewhat inconsistent household and um, also just feeling different, but not knowing what it was yet about myself that was different or having mm-hmm. the words to describe like what I was. Mm-hmm. There was so much about Harry Potter to identify with from feeling trapped in the cupboard with people who don't understand you to finding friends who share something about you with you that you can't necessarily talk about in normal society or be really out with yet Mm -hmm. uh, all of that and Mm -hmm. just to have um you know for if you've somehow been living under a rock (laughs) and not aware that jk rowling has come out repeatedly as a violent turf which is a uh trans exclusionary radical feminist Mm i.e not really a real feminist if you ask me Mm -hmm. um but someone who is really, really transphobic um, and is eschewing a, a lot of, uh, you know, violent comments that are at their base just rooted in nothing more than fear and misinformation about trans people and what our goals are, which as a mm-hmm. reminder, our goals are to live quiet lives doing or or loud ones doing whatever the fuck we want. Just like, just like yeah, anyone well. else. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, similarly, it's made it really tough for me to, 
to engage with the fandom as an adult and to just look back at, uh, you know, even seeing things like becoming more aware about just how racist a lot of her character naming and the way that the society, mm-hmm. Wizarding Society was set up, things that I just sort of, that went over my head as a child are very hard to ignore now. Um, right. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, like, are you, do you think, how do you feel about, like, Hogwarts Legacy and kind of, do you think you'll play it, or? (laughs) I definitely won't, but my heart breaks that I can't. Yeah. Um, I'm very honest about that stuff. Like, I wish I could. Um, A couple months ago, actually, I put on Harry Potter to see if I felt Mm. differently, right? And as soon as I put it on, it wasn't the same feeling I always had of excitement and, like, Mm. oh, yeah, I'm about to disassociate for three hours. It was very much, like, (laughs) disgust. And I was like, yeah, no. Plus, I'm using my best friend's HBO Max account, who's a very proud trans man. So, absolutely Mm. the fuck not. So, I've never watched Harry Potter (laughs) since then. Can't his algorithm like this. (laughs) Exactly that. So, no, I, I won't be participating. But it does suck, because I even see, like, really cool like merch and shit that mm-hmm. i wish i could rock you know what i mean like mm-hmm. cosplays i wish i could do and i just can't mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's complicated it's something that we've we've just sort of brought up we bring up from time to time and touch on on the show just because you know to any other queer and trans person listening um you know, however you choose to engage or not engage with the Harry Potter fandom is completely up to you and is your choice. And there's no judgment either way. If it's something that still brings you joy and comfort, more power to you. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, it's nice to talk to someone who also uh, relates to the struggle of like having it be so important and now have feeling like, but so betrayed by JK. Um, Anyway, enough about her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is, do you identify as a gamer? Oh my god, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about that. Oh my god. So like I've been gaming for years. Like back mm. when I was in Jamaica, I was probably like 6 and 7 like and I would get like family members that came from America that would come down with their game systems and I would try it out. Like I remember when I first came to America, I played a Sega Genesis. Mm. And I was playing Sonic and I was like, "Wow, I'm in love. This is the best thing ever." Right? Because escape escapism like mm-hmm. it was my way to be away from like my household um growing up in a very strict homophobic household is difficult when i didn't understand why i was lashing out i didn't understand why i felt misunderstood i didn't understand why i didn't want to dress like my mom wanted Mm. me to dress you know um and honestly i'm big on like i don't hate her for it i don't dislike her for it like i understand the culture i come from they're Mm. very homophobic very transphobic and i grew up in that Mm -hmm. um so as much as I dislike it, I love my mom and I love how I grew up. It was just difficult um, understanding me in that household. So ga- video games was my escape. Like I played a lot of Madden, a lot of GoldenEye. Mm. Um, I had an Xbox 360 till the rings of death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> brought it to college with me, stole my little brother's TV in college at Buff State and just played video games all throughout. Even in grad school, I was on my PS4 playing Last of Us when it came out. Oh my gosh, yes. Yo, I was late to my assistantship every fucking day just playing that game. Uh, it was a great. changing game. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your relationship with gaming today? And how is it different from how you related to games growing up? Wow. I appreciate that question because for me now, gaming isn't just about the game. Because I stream it, um, 
it's about talking about social justice issues while playing games. It's like mm. disassociating while bringing uh, awareness to certain issues that I care about. Like the other day when the 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 Supreme Court document got leaked, um, the morning after I worked. You know, I can't mm. not show up to work, and I work from home, so I'm I'm very privileged in that. So I woke up a little bit earlier and I got online and I streamed in the morning, which I never do at eight a.m. Mm. Eastern Standard Time disgusting um <laughs> but i got to play games i got to play apex while talking about how much that hurt me and how much it affected people and gave people a space to be unapologetic unapologetically themselves in a whole you yeah. know so it was cool that's really amazing like do you feel like the game in a way helped you to talk about it with others like what was it about having the game and playing apex and also having the conversation like like what does it mean to you to kind of bring those two things together it helps me focus mm. and i guess i never realized that it helps me to focus on one thing while because my mind is always running um and i also have a brain injury so my mind is constantly running and i'm always mm. like i don't know if that makes sense but gaming while being in my own space on stream and having my community members watch that helps me to focus in on the game and the issue at hand that I'm discussing. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So we mentioned Twitch uh, where you stream as a underscore typical queer. So is that a typical queer or a, Oh, I see. It's kind of like both. It's like a typical queer, but also a (laughs) typical. There we go. Look at you. <laughs> See what's up? We're, we're, we're discovering things today. Oh my gosh. So you touched on this a little bit already, but what sorts of values and intentions do you feel like you bring to your stream? Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so I'm all about like representing marginalized communities, um, mm. even communities I don't identify with, but specifically trans and black communities, because very much well. It's not fair for me to say we're underrepresented because that's all my timeline my timeline is. That's all mm. I've curated it to be. But in a in the world standpoint, we are. Um so having people come in and see someone who's non-binary that doesn't give a fuck. And I say that all the time. Literally, mm-hmm. my read message is, hey, I'm Ace or Ash, whichever you want to call me. I'm black and I don't give a fuck. Like, it is <laughs> what it is. Like, hate on me and do the little, like, shit you got going on. I don't care. Um, so I guess exactly that, right? Like, being me um, mm-hmm. and being honest. Like, I forget shit quickly. TBI, <laughs> um, disabilities, representation, empowering, um, passionate about everything that I say and do. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that people know that I have a master's degree. I've worked in New York state government for a decade and I talk about stuff like that freely. Um, So just being unapologetically myself and allowing others to do the same in my space. That's Mm -hmm. my, that's what I stand for. Awesome. And what types of games do you feature on your streams and why? Um, I play a lot of apex now because of the representation. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to really like playing call of duty. I don't, really like playing call of duty anymore for political reasons obviously and just Mm. just stance reasons um but i miss shooters right like Mm. i love shooters apex gives me what call of duty gave me plus representation 
Mm. Um, which is really nice. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Call of Duty didn't have some representation. I remember I played one game last year and it was like a campaign of the game and it asked like, how do you identify? And I was able to put like non-binary or something like that. And that was pretty sick to me, especially in that game. However, Apex didn't have to start doing that. You know what I mean? Mm. They've been doing that since they came out. Um, and in that game, white people are in the minority. And for me, that's dope. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else do I play? I play a lot of DVD as well, because uh, gays love DVD. But I hate that game because I suck at it. Wait, what's DVD? Dead by Daylight. Oh, Dead by Daylight. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, tell us about the gays. Why does it tell us why the community loves Dead by Daylight? I have no idea why they're so obsessed with Dead by Daylight, but I just went with it because that's what people did. If I'm being honest with you, you can't beat them, join them. Exactly that. And I love horror games. Like I'm a big phasmophobia person. That was really mm. cool for months. Um, but yeah, right now I just do a lot of Apex. I want to dig into something you said a couple minutes ago, which is just how much you loved um, shooters and what you get from them um, and and how, you know, Call of Duty scratched an itch for a long time and now it's being mm-hmm. scratched by Apex. But tell us more about your love for FPS and like what about it is so exciting and uh, what does it give you? Man, I like I love FPSs because they allow me to, I don't know, like, I don't want to use the word again, but escape. Like, mm-hmm. there's just something about the hype. I don't want to be here and be like, I love to kill people. That's right. not what it is at all. <laughs> but, like, it's just something about getting it right, right? Like, there's mm. something about the strategy of being able to be decent in a game like that. Mm. I love strategy. Like, Apex, I'm like, all right, don't go this way. You're going to flank. You got to do it smart. You're going to use that person. You got to make sure you ha- you understand how to use that person. So it's more or less about, like, the shooting as much as it's about the strategy mm. and how to get it done in a, in a strategic and, and, and well-informed way. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know if you play any Dark Souls games. I don't, but I have them. I'm, okay, I wanted to hear more about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't play them? No, I... So this is the thing about Ace. Ace loves to waste money. <laughs> I have a full-time job that funds me just wasting money on the Best Buy credit card I need to pay off. So if I see that everyone's playing a game, I'll go get that shit. And I'll Absolutely. be like, oh my god, I'm gonna fucking play it. Bitch, I don't play Dying Light 2. That's in my room. I have all, like, the new Resident Evil that came out last year. Like, last year. Yes, I have that on open in my room. I got it the day it came out. I have I love it on that PS5. It's open. <laughs> unplayed. You almost open, got unplayed. There. Almost. I almost put it in the PS5. It was close. It's hard to get it from the. It's so heavy, the disc right. to get it in the. Right. I haven't been I in the gym lately. <laughs> <laughs> so just since Elden Ring is such a hot topic right now, I'm curious to hear from you, like, is there anything holding you back from the Souls games or like, what is it about them um, that feel like as someone who gets something from the strategy and the uh, getting good and repetition of FPS? It seems like a lot of folks um, that we hear from also get that from Souls games. I'm just curious mm-hmm. if there's anything there that... Uh, resonates with you (laughs) no yeah that's fair absolutely not and i don't know why if i'm being very honest i don't know why i can't get into it 
Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's just like, and I love story games. I love having something to to achieve, mm. but I just do that with my dailies. I think it's hard for me to have a million games happening at once. And mm. a lot of gamers do that. And that's no shade. That's perfectly fine. But for me, I'm like, I'm going to go play a game. It's going to be Apex with my best friend, Shiny. And then I don't play games outside of that, to be honest with you. I don't mm. play games one-on-one because so mm. much of my life is playing games with my friends. And I love that. And mm. I don't get the same um, the same feeling by myself. Mm. I have other shit to focus on when it comes mm-hmm. to, 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 to me um, and being a gamer. Because so much about being a gamer is not so much about the game, right? You got to focus on your mental health. You got to focus on what you're saying, your message. So in order to be whole, I focus on other things outside of gaming. Mm. It's kind of beautiful that gaming for you is so closely tied to social outlets or communicating or sort of uh, a way to put your own content and and thoughts out into the world. Um, like it's both a place where you're social and also a place where you're able to a platform for you mm-hmm. to share. Um, it's really cool. Absolutely. Like gaming allows me to connect with my friends. It allows me to connect with my community. Um, but it does nothing for me one-on-one because that's what that is meant for, for me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. But I love gaming. I just love it sometimes. Mm-hmm. In certain contexts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So Ace, you're also the director of diversity consulting for Queerty Gamers, a nonprofit that started out as a Facebook group for queer Minecraft players um, that today, uh, champion. it's a nonprofit that champions the inclusion and visibility of LGBTQIA plus gamers in the broader gaming world. Um, I'd love it if you could tell us a bit more about your journey into the gaming industry and what drew you to this type of work in particular. Absolutely. So Queerity, that was a dope opportunity. I remember following them on Twitter for a bit and seeing the amazing work that they do, not just for they made a I made an incorrect tweet the other day and I said cishet gays and I meant to say cis gays, <laughs> but everybody was like, I know who you're talking about when you say yeah. it. So yes, ironically, the cishet gays, like beyond <laughs> that is represented on, um, on QWERTY. I saw a lot of talks for black people, a lot of talks for trans people. So I remember one time I got on the phone with Ray, um, my CEO, and I was like, yo, do you do DEI stuff? Like, Mm. do you have a consultant for that? And we made the position for Mm. myself. And that was pretty sick because I care a lot about marginalized communities and making sure that people feel represented, especially in gaming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have been finding ways over the past year to connect my master's of public administration with my, my passion for representation and content creation altogether in QWERTY Gamers tied that in for me in a, in a beautiful way. Mm. And as a director of diversity consulting for Queerty, like what does some of your work look like? Uh, so bringing on people that also consult in diversity aspects. So like we have a director of YouTubing, we're looking for like a director of Latin, Latin um, consulting mm. and always think about other things. I'm also a director of uh, BIPOC consulting. 
but I don't really rep that because I think it's cool just to say I'm the director of all the consulting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's pretty, it, it, it's day to day right now. We're working on a presentation that I that actually I wrapped up a couple months ago, but I'm going to be presenting to the board, I believe, next month um, on consulting for diversity. Right. So like talking mm-hmm. about the the inclusion versus equity, talking about diversity, talking about all the aspects on a one on one level. And also talking about like, what's the word? There? Oh, microaggressions. Mm. So like talking about microaggressions and the importance of that, because a lot of people don't realize that certain shit is really fucked up to say to people. Mm-hmm. And for example, you speak English so well. Wow. You sound so educated. And I'm like, wow, yo, like, yes, but fuck that. Do you assume that because I look like this, I'm not mm. going to speak that way. Understand that I can speak like this at any given time that I want to, but I can also speak in a colloquial manner if needed. Mm-hmm. I am from New York city. So I, have, we, I do this thing called code switching, which I hate mm-hmm. it, but it is a concept that I understand. And I have been doing for years as someone that's worked in a predominantly white space in New York state government, mm-hmm. especially working for the executive branch for the amount of years that I did. Mm-hmm. I was the only person of color in a lot of spaces. I was the only person that was openly gay in a lot of spaces. Mm-hmm. And I was overseeing the public health budget, non-Medicaid. That's wild to me. Um, so yeah, I don't want to get like too empowered in that moment, but that's just how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's understandable that the places where the services that a lot of people's lives depend on should reflect the people that they're serving, like that, that they're not is definitely very frightening and bad. So (laughs) absolutely that. Absolutely that. Oh my gosh. What to you is the most rewarding aspect of working within consulting in the gaming industry? Helping other people feel understood. Um, Because although not everything I do is under that title, I feel like everything I do is with that purpose. Mm. Um, So my content, A underscore typical queer, I hope empowers marginalized creators and just non-creators to feel whole and just like happy and empowered within their beings um a couple of weeks ago if not months ago i remember i tweeted like a picture of myself i was like quote retweet this with your hottest picture um queer creators and let us love on you and it kind of went viral like as 1.2 million impressions and a lot of people like came through and we were just telling people how beautiful they were how amazing they were how much we just appreciated that they were here in the space with us so that's the message that i hope that i give every single time that i i tweet every single time that I go live, every single time that I speak. Mm. Mm-hmm. You share on your Twitch bio that you aspire to empower those who look like you to become content creators. Mm-hmm. I was curious if you could say more about what that mission in particular means to you, like specifically, um, you know, lifting up other marginalized folks to make content themselves. Why is that important to you? Growing up, I didn't have anybody that looked like me to tell me I could do this. I had a lot of people that didn't look like me that told me I didn't have the personality for content creation. What? A couple of years, yeah, a couple of years ago, I was dating someone, um, and we went out to somewhere in the city with a old friend of mine, and I told them that I wanted to be a content creator. We wanted to start um, YouTube. We wanted to start Twitter, and they're like, "Why? Like, you don't have the like? Why would you want to do that?" Start interviewing me on the spot, and I'm like, first off, you're not like." a company and two yeah. why can't you just empower me to <laughs> go for what i want mm-hmm. and actually i did do that for like two years in my relationship with my ex-fiance and it was really well done 
Um, but I deleted everything after the breakup. And mm. I remember one thing she said to me in um in her breakup speech with me was like, oh, I boy. hope that you continue doing content creation because you're you're good mm. at it. And that was the only nice thing she said to me when she mm. ended it with me. Um so it stuck with me. And mm. after I we broke up actually two years in three days. Um so after May 10th, I didn't come back till January 1st of 2021. So it's been like a very quick journey under Atypical Queer. But working with companies like Adidas, working with companies like Color of Change, reinforce that I am good at the shit that I do. And I, it doesn't matter if you think I have the personality. Somebody that looks like me, somebody that's marginalized is going to look at me and be like, yo, you did that shit? I can do it too. And that's what I want everyone to feel when they see me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I sometimes feel like too when there are so many people who tell themselves like, oh, I'm going to write that novel. I'm going to start that company. I'm going to do that streaming on Twitch. And they just never get to the point where they'll put the steps in motion to start doing it. And when other people bring it up, like, hey, I think I'm going to try streaming on Twitch. I think sometimes for certain people, there's a a need to bring them down a peg or introduce fear and doubt because if they can do it, then that means that there's a reason that I haven't done it yet. And I don't want to examine mm-hmm. that deeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to bring you back to my status quo so I can feel more comfortable continuing to do what's <laughs> safe and comfortable for me. Hmm. You're not wrong about that, love. <laughs> um, that happened to me a lot when I started out because when I started out, I had a lot of people that looked like me. I remember one specific instance, someone said it was a call with three people and I was sitting there and I was listening in and one other person was like, yeah, Ace is going to be like a great creator. Ace is going to get thousands of followers. Ace is going to be Twitch partner one day. And the third yes, person was like, I need you to, <laughs> right. The third person was like, I need you to humble yourself because uh, what if Ace doesn't make it? I'm like, Ace has to do everything else that everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taken me X amount of time to get here and I'm still nowhere near there. So mm-hmm. let's bring it back a bit. And the entire time from point A of the conversation to point B, I was quiet. Because one thing about me, I'm not going to stunt on you like with words. I do that shit with action because <laughs> now you got me wanting to work 10 times harder. That was probably in February of 2021. Mm. It is now May of 2022. And I am finally in a place where I feel as though I'm successful as a content creator. I'm not nowhere near where I'm dis- destined to be or where mm-hmm. I intend to be. But I am very successful in this moment and I'm confident in that and I'm humbled by that because as many times as people see me succeed, I have failed twice as much. And I try 10 times as harder just to do what people that have tens of thousands of followers do just by hitting go live. Mm. So try me. Because tell me I can't, I bet you I will. Mm -hmm. Try them, people. Seriously, it gives them more power. Exactly that. That's my superpower. Other people's bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's plenty of that to go around, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never ending supply. <laughs> It's really just been a little over a year that you started streaming. What do you think 
contributed to the rapid success and community that you've seen amassing around you? The black tag, um, advocating Hmm. for the black tag was huge for my career. Um, but like I always say, every time this comes up, I could not have done it without the advocacy of the trans tag. Everything I did was on the back of the trans tag, mm. on the back of my mom, Lucia Everblack, on the back of my best friend, Shiny Pen. Every concept I came up with, I never did it alone. Mm. Um, I lost hours of sleep. <laughs> I definitely was working a full-time job and advocating like it was a full-time job. Absolutely that. I'll give myself credit, but I will never take credit away from those that were up with me. Mm. Um, so the Black Tag gave me the momentum. Um, the Adidas collaboration continued that momentum. But then my mental health came through. I was like, oh, fuck all that. Right? Mm. Um and so I stopped doing a lot of things for a couple of months, but being transparent in how my mental health affected me also helped keep that momentum going mm. because I used Twitter as outlet. I didn't have to stream for people to connect with me. Mm. I have the ability to just 140 or 150 characters, whatever the fuck, and have people connect with that. And if they want to show up to my stream, they do. I have an average probably like 10, 15, maybe one day, four people in my stream. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Does it suck sometimes? Absolutely. I'm grateful for everyone that shows up. Four, five, five hundred. But it does suck because I put so much work into it. Sorry, my cats are fighting in the background. <laughs> it's amazing to watch them <laughs> ping-ponging around. <laughs> that was wild. Nova <laughs> fucked up Morty in that moment. Um, wow. Uh, but yeah, like as much as I'm grateful, I understand that I put a lot of work into this shit. And I'm not where I'm destined to be. And that sucks because I carry that on my back every day. Mm. But to go back to the original question, the Black Tech, the Adidas collaboration, my friendships, my networking, my connections have propelled me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your mental health. How do you make sure that you're taking care of yourself and prioritizing your mental health when you're doing a type of work um, that does demand a lot of you and a lot of your energy and attention? Thank you for that validation. Um, <laughs> I make sure to take my medication. So I have it every single day in my phone, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, take your medication. If I'm drinking, I won't take it. Mm. Um, I'll take it the morning after when I feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I also am a medical marijuana user. Um, so I always Same. have my pen on me. <laughs> right. Um, so anytime I get stressed, I access my pen. Um, I'm pretty much always high. I'm not high right now because I just woke up. Uh, <laughs> and connecting with my friends. Um, I have growing up. I too. Growing up, it was difficult for me to feel whole in the friendships I had because I was the only person that was gay mm. or queer. Um and confident in that <laughs> won't go deeper in that um so there was always something missing it wasn't until i met my best friend shiny pen who have also only known for over a year that i mm. felt like i have found a true soulmate a platonic soulmate someone that mm. i don't have to say how i feel for them to know how i feel and that's not to say that I don't fight with the kid i fight with him all the time <laughs> but our fights are so healthy that it's weird to me like, we'll say something maybe hurtful, and they'll be like, you know what? I have to step away. That's weird mm. for me. Because I'm like, yo, let's fucking go at it. Let's yeah, brawl this right. shit out. <laughs> and very much in this friendship, is like, no, let's step away and come back to it. And that has been my saving grace for my mental health. Mm. Because I can go to this kid and whatever feeling I have, and he accepts me whole. Mm. 
Um, Same for my my bestie, uh, Tophilium. Same for Valkyrie Vice. Like these people, Java Jen, have shown me true friendship. Mm. Um, And that saved me. I don't know if they know how many times they have saved me over the last couple of months and and year, but they have. Um, And in terms of what I do for myself, again, Vampire Diaries. Like laying there (laughs) aimlessly, just watching Vampire Diaries, fucking helps, yo. The other day I went... And I, I wasn't even hungry. I got like a pint <laughs> of ice cream. I got Cheetos. I got mm. onions. I got like, I allow myself to have bad days and I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. If I want to wake up and go to the gym in the morning, all right, bitch, do that. But in this moment, we're going to sit here and be fat. We're going to be all 270 pounds of this tonight. Yes. You feel me? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey. Like, for such an insidious, all-encompassing, like, mental health is no joke. As someone who has a major depression and an anxiety disorder, uh, just the fact that I was able to get up and put something into my mouth, I don't care if it was mm-hmm. Cheetos, I don't care if it was a vegetable, I put mm-hmm. something in there, I'm upright, I left mm-hmm. the bed, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Like, that part. survival, it doesn't always have to be thriving and blooming and, you know, hitting the next level. Sometimes it's just survival and that is amazing too. Okay, bitch, because that's a fact. <laughs> you know how hard it is to exist, period? Like, literally the other day when that whole ruling came out, I was uh, in bed feeling so sorry for myself. So fucking sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And I was proud as fuck of me because at one point I got up and said, yo, put the phone down, go walk your dog, yes. and go get food. And I did yes. that. I went and got a beef patty, another, mm, like yes. stuff, just Jamaican shit. And I was like, you know what? In this moment, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of myself for not laying there and feeling bad for myself as I typically do. And also, and if I did that, that's perfectly fine too. Just don't mm-hmm. stay in that moment. Absolutely. Pull yourself out at some point. I wholeheartedly believe that it's okay to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself. It's okay to throw that pity party. But what is not okay is to remain in that that mental state forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in that mental state for a decade, bitch. And mm-hmm. I came out of it. And not a lot of people survive it. You know, a lot of people lose lives. I have attempted to take my own life away. And I'm very honest about that. Mm. And I'm grateful. And I don't want to say strong enough because people that do that, it's not that they aren't strong Mm -hmm. enough. They are very strong in their decision to do what they have to do Mm -hmm. or they feel they need to do. My definition of my strength was being able to survive all of that Mm -hmm. and being able to understand that depression doesn't go away. It stays within me. I just have to realign how I think about it and how I accept it. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Absolutely. <sighs> yeah. What what they want, the the bad days, not us. <laughs> what they want is for us to be stuck in that cycle of fear and to be immobilized by despair and to be hopeless. And, you know, if, if what it takes for us to have the energy tomorrow is spending today laying in a puddle of tears and eating Cheetos, then by God, we deserve that right. Absolutely. To fight another day. Absolutely. Ace, where can people keep up with you, follow you, and engage with your community? Are you shitting my dick? It's been 40 minutes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Holy crap. Yo, I love speaking to you because I, I got lost in that moment. I thought this was only 20 minutes so far. <laughs> I am so sorry. Yeah, we were in there <laughs> together. <laughs> we were in there. That was dope. Not for real. 
Um, yeah, so again, my name is Ace, pronouns they, she. Uh, my at name on everything is A underscore typical queer. I'm on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all the shit you're supposed to be on to diversify your content that I don't do. So you can find me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> being very active on Mid. there. Um, and I stream, I think I stream Wednesday, Thursday. No, I think my schedule is Thursday, Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and then 2 p.m. on Saturdays. Yo, it's Saturday at 2.42. I'm not streaming today. But that's the schedule I have posted on Twitch, so let's go with that. Check them out on Twitch, folks. Ace, thank you so much for joining us on Pixel Therapy. It's been an absolute joy having you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, love. This has been a pleasure and an honor to spend this day with you. today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly if you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and following us on twitter and instagram at pixel therapy pod That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythoughpodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This week, we want to direct you to metahealth.gg. Per some covers they received in Gaming Mag, and that's G-A-Y-M-I-N-G Mag, uh, Meta by Sinai Health Foundation, based in Toronto, is a dynamic and diverse online gaming community whose mission is to fundraise and support the game-changing research and services at Sinai Health, including vital programs directly serving the LGBTQ Two-Spirit Plus community. This pride, Meta is gathering gamers and creators together to support young people between the ages of 16 and 29 who visit Mount Sinai Hospital's emergency department in need of timely and inclusive mental health care. I think it's, when you check out this website, metahealth.gg, I think it's really cool that a hospital system is like putting this together. Like it's looking like it's really going to mobilize streamers and their fans to just do um, raise awareness to a really important cause, which is making mental health care more accessible to young people, especially young um, queer people in the community. Um, So to check it out, learn more, donate um, and find out how you can watch some streams, check out metahealth.gg. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. Bye-bye.